Welcome to IAQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. The rules have changed. Good day, wherever you're listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio, for Friday, February 20th, 2009. This week, episode 113 comes to you from beautiful Studio B in Coriopolis, Pennsylvania. My name is Joe Hughes, or Radio Joe, and here with me in the studio is the Z-Man, Cliff Slotnick. It's always my pleasure, Joe. Good day, Cliff. We've also got at the controls the wingman, Chris Boisel. Chris and we may have a couple technical or a couple guests in uh, between the that's right between that's segments. Right. Environmental Annie's here too, but she doesn't have a microphone today. I We're was thinking we could call her the environmental intern. Uh, the environmental <laughs> interns with us. Good day, Annie. All right, our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow, is also here with us. He'll be joining us at halftime. And today's segments are. We're going to have Sharon Kramer. Sharon is a mold activist, and uh, we're going to be talking about a couple of things. One is the American College of Occupational and Environmental Medicine uh, uh, mold uh, statement. We'll talk a little bit about her progress to date on that. And then more importantly, we're going to get into some detail on the Government Accountability Office GAO mold report. Then we'll have our halftime. We'll bring Dr. Wow in, ask a few other questions go back with Sharon and at the end we'll of course have the roundup before we do all that of course we'll have our trivia question we've been updating that blog every week on iaqradio.com check it out when you get a chance but before we start let's make sure we thank our sponsors legends environmental insurance services the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years learn about them at legends-enviro.com Microband Systems, the microbial management company at microbandsystems.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IEQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising informational available at ieconnections.com. Dry Ease Products, providing equipment for drying water damaged homes and buildings. Dry Ease is first in drying solutions at dri-eaz.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at jondon.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their products and services. Okay, looks like we're starting to pack them in here today. To contact the show, of course, you can just call 724 724- 444-7444, enter our show ID, which is 1547, and then just press the number 1 to join the show. You can also download the show by going to our website, iaqradio.com, and follow the link that says go to the show. 
or you can get the show from iTunes. Don't forget, I can also work with you on getting your IICRC continuing education credits or IAQ Council renewal credits. Just send me an email to request a quiz. My email is joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com. You can also send us requests, suggest guests, or ask questions by emailing me or the Z-Man at cliffzlotnick at unsmoke.com. Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Just like every week, we've got a microband trivia question that relates to our guests. So, Cliff, I'm going to turn it over to you. Thanks, Joe. Well, listeners, you can win a cool prize by answering a microband trivia question. And the good news is that a few trivia questions from past shows still remain unanswered. It's easy to submit an answer for the trivia question. Simply go to the IEQRadio.com website, click Trivia, and follow the link to post your answer. The microband trivia question for Friday, February 20th, 2009, is a two-part question. The person holding this position has the responsibility to audit the financial statements that the Secretary of the Treasury and the Director of the Office of Management and Budget present to the Congress and to the President. For every fiscal year since 1996, when consolidated financial statements began, the person holding this position has refused to endorse the accuracy of the consolidated figures for the federal budget citing one serious financial management problems at the Department of Defense. Two, the federal government's inability to adequately account for and reconcile intragovernmental activity and balances between federal agencies. And three, the federal government's ineffective process for preparing the consolidated financial statements. We're looking for the name of the person, or I'm sorry, we want you to name the position the person holds and the group which they had. Uh, we have some comments, actually, from the governor of, of California. Good morning. What's going on? How does politics work, Here's Arnold? how it works. Money comes in, favors go out, the people lose. What do you suggest we do? Open the books. Audit everything. And then we end the crazy deficit spending. Back to you, Joe. All right. Thanks, Cliff, and thank you, uh, Governor. Today's guest is Sharon Noonan Kramer. Sharon has been shaking up the insurance and medical community for years now, exposing how the powers that be use conflicts of interest and marketing ploys to deny mold and damp building causes health. Her work, um, her hard work, has led to a Wall Street Journal article exposing some of these conflicts. The original paper she authored that caught the journal's attention was ACOEM Exposed, a case study in sham peer review and conflict of interest. For those of you that aren't familiar, that's the American College of Occupational and Environmental Medicine. This week, we have invited Sharon back to follow up with her progress to date with respect to that ACOEM statement, and more importantly, to talk to us a little bit about the recent Government Accountability Office report called Indoor Mold, Better Coordination of Research on Health Effects and More Consistent Guidance Would Improve Federal Efforts. We have some music for Sharon. 
Sharon, are you with us? I'm with you. Uh, Funny boys. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. It's great to have you back. Well, thank you. It's good to be back. Um, you have you shake you really shake things up, Sharon. I I was you know when I when we first met and talked about some of the, your uh, activities, I was was not sure what kind of effect you were going to have, and uh, it seems that one person can make a difference. I know you don't claim all the credit and I want to make sure that we you know make a statement to that effect but can you tell us a little bit about what has occurred with respect to that ACOEM report since our last interview uh, yes I can and it's absolutely true I mean I you know I haven't done this by myself I am not a building scientist I am not a health scientist it's taken a, a tremendous effort on the part of a lot of people who are far more knowledgeable than I will ever be to help um, bring the what was wrong with the ACOM mold statement in establishing public health, health policy to a greater life. Um, and I would say the biggest thing on that front, which has been just absolutely wonderful, the International Journal of Occupational and Environmental Health published um, a very well-written paper um, in October of 2008 called A Critique of the ACOM Mold, A Statement on Mold, Undisclosed Conflicts of Interest in the Creation of an, quote-unquote, Evidence-Based Statement. And um, the IJLEH only comes out every three months. So in January, there's been a follow-up to this very well-written paper by uh, Dr. James Craner, who is a fellow of the American College of occupational and environmental medicine. And um, what the follow-ups were were letters in response to this. Um, one was from uh, the president of ACOM, Dr. Orford, who, um, I'm, I'm sorry to say, I, I, I feel like he um, is still trying to say, what problem? We see no problem. <laughs> but um, the responses that came back are from the, some from some that are very knowledgeable over the science of the matter and also how this paper has played out in the courtroom and impacted public health policy. Dr. Dore Dearborn um, wrote a response letter. Dr. Craner wrote a response letter. Dr. Michael Hodson wrote a response letter. And um, the attorney, David Friendsnick, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing his name correctly, also wrote a letter, and basically what they're all saying is, give it up, ACOM. It's time to take it down. You can't take a rat study, add some math, and conclude that nobody's sick out here. So, um, so on the front of knocking the deceit out of what has been used in the courtroom to deny causation of illness and what has been um, established in public policy um, by using um, less than desirable methods of science, that has been a tremendous help. And I'm, I'm, you know, I've been screaming about this for years, and I'm just so thankful that there are others that are far more knowledgeable than I am and have a much more scientific background and understand public health policy that have taken the time to write these wonderful papers to stop this deceit. Well, Sharon, would you would you agree that 
it's more um, the response has been, at least in my opinion, based more on the way the original paper was written and the potential conflicts of interest of the people who wrote it than the actual science? No. Okay. It's the actual science. It's the actual science. The, um, the authors that they brought in, and it, and you know, there, it, not all of this paper is completely bad. There's some aspects I agree with. Exactly. But okay. The main, the main bone of contention over this paper that is was not science at the time it was done, and it's not science now. The authors took extrapolations from a single rodent study of hypothetical mycotoxins from a mold spore, and from these extrapolations they concluded the implausibility for human illness from inhaled mycotoxins in an indoor environment. Well, first of all, people aren't just exposed to mycotoxins that are the toxic aspect. People um, aren't just exposed via one route of exposure. And there are many science papers that indicate through mechanistic research that these toxins do indeed cause illness in people. So what they did is they intentionally used um, limited information to make a non-sequitur conclusion of the implausibility of human illness. And I can tell you what the term for that is. It's called influence of ignorance. It's not he who knows most that controls policy. It's he who controls what information is considered when others make decisions. And um, this has just wreaked sheer hell out here in the real world because what then went out to the physicians is ACOM has scientifically determined that all of these people who are claiming illness beyond asthma and allergy, they're just liars and whiners. And what that's caused, people have not been able to get medical treatment for these illnesses, which has caused them to get sicker than they should, which has caused more contention, which has caused more litigation. So it's just been a vicious cycle. And um, I, I can't tell you how appreciative I am to the um, authors of the IJOEH paper and those that wrote papers saying this is wrong. They've made a tremendous difference at um, stopping this deception over science. And I also want to say this. I have some very good friends that are doctors in the American College of Occupational and Environmental Medicine. They're men of science and medicine that are working very hard to treat their patients. And papers like this, by their leadership, has um, it's harmed their reputations. It's made it hard for them to treat their patients. So it's not just the people that are being harmed by this, but the end users are the patients. It's the doctors themselves. And, you know, ACOM needs to step up to the plate get rid of that mold statement now. Let me, um, before we go on to the indoor mold report from the GAO, I just want to make sure that we're clear with all the listeners and anybody who downloads the show later. We welcome anyone who wants to come on and defend the statement. That would be fine with us here at IAQ Radio. We, we've actually tried to get a few people to come on, and we haven't had much luck in that in that respect. So please um, feel free to come on and, uh, you know, 
we'll be happy to present the other side as well. But let's let's go on to the GAO report. Uh, Cliff, I know you had a question. Oh, I'm sorry. The Government Accountability Office, the acronym police got me. Sharon, you're doing a great job so far. Keep it up. Okay, okay well, fine. well, now that we've defined the term, who or what is the GAO and what is the group's function, Sharon? The um, Federal G Government Accountability Office, as I, as I understand it, is the, um, they're the auditing department for our federal government. So they look at different aspects where there may be problem areas in our government, and um, they go through and they do uh, research and reports, and they ask, uh, ask a lot of questions about the areas that they've been requested to study. And then they come out with recommendations of how our federal government can better address a problem. Okay. Now, how did this particular report, the one I mentioned at the beginning, indoor mold, better coordination <laughs> of research on health effects and more consistent guidance would improve federal efforts? That's the name <laughs> of the whole report. It's a little lengthy. How did this report come about? The report was requested by um, Senator Edward Kennedy on um, October 20th, 2006, um, through the Senate, at that time, minority, now majority, um, Health, Education, Labor, and Pension Committee. They saw a need. Um, they, they understood the mixed information that was coming out from our government um, over this issue, and they saw a need for um, an audit into this issue as to you know, what exactly is causing the problem? Why are so many people complaining? Why aren't they able to get help? Um, you know, why is there so much litigation over this issue? So um, it was. It took them two years to do this audit, which I think that's. I think that's a long time for an audit. I think it was a pretty big one. Well, it's certainly impressive, and I, we put the link in the uh, newsletter we sent out, and I would really highly encourage any listeners to get a copy of it. It's free. Download it. The link's on the newsletter. We'll put it up on our website at the end of the show. It's interesting reading. Cliff? Uh, do you know if any politicians argued against it? Um, I don't think so. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I don't think it works that way. When, when um, a senator requests a GAO audit, I don't think it's something that's politicized that somebody can say, no, don't, don't do that. That's the thing about the GAO. They are, um, because they're the auditing branch of our government, they are hands-off as far as politics, trying to interject politics into them. Um, th through the two-year process while this was going on, you know, people could have input into the GAO but they couldn't really say to them, you know, where are you today? What are you doing with it? And I don't think you're right on that. So, so they're very, very hands-off and very non-political, which is wonderful mm -hmm. because you want somebody that not only listens to you but listens to everybody else so they come out with a clear, unbiased understanding of an issue. And I think, you know, <laughs> everything that's been written about this issue in, in the last, five years, and I, I think there's like 10,000 mold websites out there and all the agencies, and I think they did an absolutely beautiful job of taking all of that information and condensing it down as to what is important and where do we go from here. Can you summarize for us what 
your take of what their recommendations are? Basically, they had uh, two recommendations. You know, they they were able to acknowledge that um, it, it starts off why the GA, why the GAO did this study. Recent research suggests indoor mold poses a widespread and for some people serious health threat. So that's why they did it, and and they were able to take this down to just two recommendations. I find incredible. Um, what they concluded is that our government. We need one central area within our government that um, all the information coming from the various departments are consistent so that we're sending out the same message. And um, they also concluded that we need one central area that kind of overviews where is the research heading so we're not um, overlapping and wasting dollars and we're not um, conflicting with, with where we are and what we're researching. And, um, you know, this, if there's one area that I, I, I do feel like I'm a, um, a professional in this issue, it's not building science and it's not the health science, it's my background is sales and marketing. And so mainly what I understand about this issue is that the flow of information is just as important as the information itself. And for the GAO to rightfully designate that we need one designated place from our federal government that the flow of information comes out of to make it consistent is huge. Because the information, the way the information moves itself is just as important as the information itself. Okay. Does that make sense? I'm sorry? Does that make sense? Absolutely. Now, who is that group? that's going to coordinate this stuff. Could you tell our listeners? Yes, it's the Federal Interagency Center for Indoor Air Quality. And um, the director of this is uh, Mr. Philip Jalbert, and um, the it's called the CIAQ for short. The CIAQ comes under the EPA. So um, I think that there are some EPA members that have a long history of um, researching and understanding this issue that are involved to um, help Mr. Jalbert too, because he's got he has a big job. It's not just mold in the indoor environment that he deals with. He deals with it's the Center for Indoor Air Quality. So he has other issues that um, come under his purview too. And doesn't this group also the Center for Indoor Air Quality include other government agencies as well? Right. It comes under the EPA, but the, um, let's see if I've got it in front of me, what all departments, um, it would be, it would involve government agencies like um, HUD and the, um, FEMA, FEMA, HHS, um, Department of Justice, um, so OSHA, I would assume, um, it, 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 what it is, is it's trying to take all the government agencies that are involved in this issue and just sort of have a funnel before they put things out that it's make sure what, what the Department of Justice is saying is consistent with the EPA. And or the Center for Disease Control or the Federal Emergency Management uh, Association or whatever agency I guess that is. Right. 
Now, I understand, Sharon, there was a call, and I missed it yesterday, that people can join these CIAQ calls, and actually they have, I guess, a web-based program where you can listen in. And I understand, was it yesterday maybe, that or Wednesday, they had a call that somewhat related to this, and did you listen in, and can you tell us a little bit about how it went? Yes. Um, every three months, the CIAQ meets, and their meeting um, this time was on Wednesday. And you can go on the Internet and join the CIAQ listserv to where you'll be notified when these meetings take place. Um, one of the aspects that they discussed at this last meeting was how they're going to move forward with, these G with the GAO recommendations. And um, I thought it was a great meeting. And there were 55 people on the line, I think. I don't know how many people were actually at the meeting. But um, I thought Mr. Jalbert did a, a great job of, of screening calls from the public. Because I mean, there are so many people out there that are saying, you know, please help us now, help us now. Well, of course, he's not able to do that right today. What, what basically what I understood him to say is, they are um, trying to bring all the players to the table from these different agencies and um, establish a consistent way that the information is going to move before they determine what actual information will be moved, which makes sense to me. You can't, you can't systematically move information if you don't have a system. Now, a big, a big part of the GAO report goes over inconsistencies between different recommendations and documents put out by different federal agencies. And um, in some cases, I, I think it's all federal, but it could be maybe some local or state. Why do you think we have so much inconsistency and so many different recommendations? Because I think under the prior administration, um, Science has been allowed to become highly politicized. And I'll give you an example even. Um, you know, we have the EPA on one hand that's doing a pretty good job of putting out, you know, pretty decent information over this. And at the same time, we have the Department of Justice paying the authors of the ACOM mold statement as expert defense witnesses, um, denying causation of illness in military families that are made sick from military housing. You can find it, um, if you go to fedspending.org, you'll see that the DOJ has paid those authors approximately $800,000 in expert witness fees um, since 2004. So I think that that's a lot of it. I think over the last eight years that um, industry has been allowed to um, have a, a tremendous amount of undue influence over science in America. You know, I think, you know, we, we have these crises uh, after hurricanes, uh, after Katrina, you know, down in New Orleans and all these agencies, whether it's FEMA or the EPA, I think they're under a lot of pressure to publish documents. And so I think that they have different conclusions. And I think sometimes the documents are geared to different people. I mean, you know, if you're gearing a document to people that don't have insurance, it might be written one way. Uh, if you're writing a document for people that do have insurance, it might be written a different way. Uh, my biggest concern is when government documents agree, 
because it seems that they parrot and repeat the same citations from the same literature. You know, can you comment on that? Well, I think they should parrot some if they're consistent. But you know, regardless of which aspect you're you're discussing or who your audience is, the message should be consistent, whether it's detailed at the same level or not. It should be a consistent message. And you know, that's funny you bring that up because my very, very favorite CDC document all time over this issue was one that they put out after Katrina, mm-hmm. and it was a one-page. It said, this was the CDC health advisory, mold will make you sick. You need to clean your house. Keep it simple, stupid, huh? Right, Very right. simple. But, you know, you can't say that that disagrees with what the EPA has said or, you know, what, what the uh, remediators are taught. or the, It's just a very simple message. Well, I, I'll give it to you simpler than that. You know, Joe and I have to train uh, remediators all the time, and oftentimes, you know, English may not be their first language. And, you know, some of the terminology that's used in these courses, you know, where you're identifying different organisms, you know, stachybotrys, and, you know, it's, it, it's tough enough in English, let alone in, in another language. And actually, I had a student who was Spanish, and I asked him to translate four words. And, and in Spanish, it's uh, majo, malo, limpio, bueno. And what that means is mold bad, clean good. And those are the yeah. basic concepts <laughs> that you need to teach the remediation worker. That's right. Get that guy a marketing contract yeah, with the right. federal government. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Sharon, it's it, it's halftime here. We're going to go to our halftime real quick and bring in Dr. Wow, and then we'll bring you right back. Sounds good. Okay. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. Microband Systems, the microbial management company at microbandsystems.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IEQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising informational available at ieconnections.com. Dry Ease Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. Dry Ease is first in drying solutions at dri-eaz.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at jondon.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their products and services. All right, let's bring our technical director on here, Dr. Dietrich Weil. Hello, Dieter. We've got you unmuted. Hello, Dieter. Yeah, hi Joe, and hello everybody. Hey. Yeah, it's, uh, it's 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 one of those interesting topics where you know um, we have precedent for that that there were problems in the past that were ignored, and you know I grew up just when OSHA started, and people said there was nothing ever anything wrong in industry anywhere. We knew that one wasn't right. And I think probably one of the best examples was the atomic bomb. And there were a lot of people who said, don't ever push the button on that thing. We don't know what's happening. And nobody really knew what was going to happen. That is the interesting thing. We learned that, unfortunately or fortunately, later. And um, a lot of people, a lot of scientists, a lot of agencies 
uh, were looking into that, and still we didn't come up with a good answer of you know whether it was good, bad, or indifferent. And you know, I look at the the, the, the mold issue, and there is no doubt in my mind. Uh, well, let's go two steps back. The, uh, anything that is in this world anywhere too much of anything is not good for you and that's called you know toxicology and the dose response uh, 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 concept and too much of anything is just not good for you and i don't think there should be anybody who should argue that point you know i can kill people with oxygen very nicely and with double distilled water uh, they, they are both very toxic to human to the human body and uh, I, I think we have to realize this and look at it with an open mind. And, uh, yeah, it was suggested uh, earlier. I said, hey, look, there are data over there. Don't tell me before looking at that that everything is garbage. And the other way around is, of course, the same way. So I think it's, yeah, it's tough to do good uh, research, to do good science, to do um, – uh, 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 and, and, and look at everything. Um, it costs a heck of a lot of money, which we don't have. And uh, Joe knows my line. You know, sexy uh, uh, um, um, uh, molds were just not sexy enough. You know, uh, uh, breast cancer was sexy, and colon cancer, and prostate cancer. Those were sexy things that money was spent into. And you talked about molds. I said, ah, hell with molds. We don't really give a damn, and we don't have enough evidence that that mold is not good for you. But we have a lot of evidence that you know breast cancer can kill somebody, or uh, colon cancer can kill somebody. So I, I I think we need, or we ought to have a panel, which probably is probably in, uh, impossible to do or to get, uh, which really looks at the issues and has a a, a good. A suggestion on how to do research and how to spend the little money that we have on these subjects. Very good, dear. Well, let's get back to Sharon and let's ask if uh, maybe we're making some progress in that respect. And uh, we'll bring you back for the roundup. Sure. Thank you. Okay, Sharon, where, where are the gaps in the research according to the GAO report? The primary gaps in the research, they've noted several times that um, you know, while we're working to understand asthma and, asthma and allergy, which is very important, those are serious problems from it, um, very little is being done to understand the, the more serious illnesses, such as the toxicity and the hypersensitivity pneumonitis and the, um, I suppose, even the chronic obstructive pulmonary disease and the chronic fungal sinusitis. And so the 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 push right now seems to be on understanding asthma and allergy, and that's great. I'm, I'm so pleased. And you know who? I, I, I want to say something about one mainstream physician who I um, attribute to really helping to get the word out on that to the physicians of America, and that would be Dr. Jay Portnoy, who was uh, president of the American College of Asthma, Allergy, and Immunology. He made it a focus this year that the allergists would begin to um, understand that the indoor environment and even mold is causing these symptoms in people. So that's huge. That if these allergists um, start start when a patient comes in with 
symptoms of that that they ask, what's your indoor environment like? Do you have, you know, mold or formaldehyde or, you know, cockroaches? Or so that's a big step. But the danger to that is the allergists and um, the immunologists, they're, 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 I didn't realize this when I first got into it, but there has been like a long-standing war between those mainstream allergists and the environmental physicians, which would be um, more the American Association of Environmental Medicine, um, they just don't mesh. And, and we need both of them to work together to further the understanding of these more serious illnesses that people are experiencing. So the fear, the fear is that the mainstream doctors people who have these other symptoms will go to these doctors and they will continue to be told, no, mold only causes asthma and allergy. It can't cause these illnesses. So it's a tough one because allergists don't practice toxicity. They don't look at that. Um, and they're not really, it's an ENT that deals with chronic fungal sinusitis. So um, somehow we have to get these medical stakeholders to the table together and acknowledge the other one's position in order to move the understanding of all these illnesses forward. Let me just see if I can get clarification. First, I want to, you know, asthma and allergy, obviously, and, and you mentioned uh, maybe you said more serious diseases. Asthma is obviously a very serious issue and, and can cause death. But uh, maybe rather than more serious diseases, less well understood types of responses to water damaged buildings would that be a better way of putting it Sharon or uh, can you explain what you mean by more serious diseases or maybe le less understood right um, asthma can be it's very serious it can be life-threatening so it's great that there's understanding that but what seems to be the focus is that we're only looking at the um, pulmonary um, implications of these illnesses as asthma and allergy, and that's not what's happening. People are having more systemic problems that they, they are getting things like blurred vision, um, numbness in the arms and legs, difficulty concentrating, um, you know, uh, swelling of joints, and um, so that's not asthma. That's not allergy. We need to expand beyond how is this impacting the lungs and our research, I guess is what, what you would say. And um, as far as the prevalence of these illnesses, we can't really say because the doctors are not recognizing them. A lot of people are um, being diagnosed, oh, oh, well, you're just depressed. They're given um, antidepressants for these illnesses when in reality it's not a psychological reaction. It's a physiological reaction. Did that answer your question? Yes. Sharon, okay. do you think it's realistic that eventually we have a government-based standard on the health risks of mold? On the health risks of mold? Yeah, do you think you mean that... Like a, you yeah. mean like, can we ever come up with a number that above or below you're okay or you're not okay? Yeah, like a you know permissible exposure limit or, or something like that. No, I, I don't think that we can do that because um, within a water-damaged environment, there's just too many variables going on. You've got 
too many different kinds of mold that cause a lot of different reactions. And then you've got the bacteria in there, too, different types of that. So you've got endotoxins and mycotoxins and proteins and beta-glucans and multiple uh, volatile organic compounds. And, and then you have people who, you know, at different ages and um, different levels of health, either uh, immunocompromised or that something has happened to them recently that's compromising their immune system, that they are, um, you're never going to come up with a standard number that anybody, you know, anytime the house is below that number, everybody's okay, and anytime that the house is above that number, everybody's going to get sick. But I do think there would be a benefit to coming up with some sort of, um, a number that would help uh, remediators to to say, you know, well, if it's above a thousand cultural units here, um, you might need to look at a problem in that house. Or, it, it, um, so I, I think testing for mold has its value, but can you use it to determine if somebody is going to get sick or not sick? No, you can't. And um, can you have one concrete standardized number? No, you can't. Would a rough guesstimate guideline help in some situations? Yeah, I think it would. Okay, Sharon, before we shift over to your advocacy, which we'd like to do uh, in, in a moment, I got a, a text up here. I want to ask the listener, if you could go back a little bit, Chris. They're saying there's seven categories. Generally, we, we talk about three categories of health effects. There's allergy, um, there's toxicity, and there are infections. But they're, they're putting up seven. And I don't think anybody argues with the allergy or the um, infection. infection, you know, and, and we know that people who are immune compromised are more likely to develop these infections. But I just want to go over these. There's type 1 allergy they've got here. They've got... Um, Two would be delayed type hypersensitivity. Three would be infection of mucous membrane. And uh, four is four. Three uh, is oh, I'm infection. sorry. Three is infection and four is uh, mucous membrane. That's the one I was missing. Trigeminal nerve. Trigeminal nerve irritation. Five adverse reactions to odors. Uh, six toxicity or neurotoxicity and seven immunotoxicity induced by molds and mycotoxins. And uh, they've given us the reference for that, so anybody that's listening can pick that up off the um, off our site here, and then we'll also go to that. That's from the mold, schoolmoldhelp.org uh, group. Okay, right. okay, great. I just wanted to make note of that and then uh, let Cliff move on to the advocacy section here. Yeah, Sharon, I mean, do you believe in minority rule, for instance, if one person's allergic to peanuts, should all the airlines ban peanuts on their airplanes, or should that person just take an alternative method of transportation? I think if you've got one person on a whole airline that's um, so severely allergic to peanuts that, no, it's, it's not logical. I mean, there is a cost and effect here you have to look at, too, that it's not logical that the whole airline should shut down for somebody who is, you know, so severely ill to peanuts. But people who have these problems they need to take responsibility themselves, too, to try and fit in with what society requires. And society needs to be um, as sensitive as possible to their needs. But it's just, you know, there, there, 
it, it's just like um, people who are handicapped. You know, it, it's socially conscious. We conscious. We do need to um, make accommodations for these people somewhat with the ramps and the public buildings and the. But um, so, it, like with everything else in this issue, nothing is black and white. There are always areas of gray, and you have to use logic when you're determining how much do we as a society bend to help those who are outliers from the society and and how much do we um, not bend for the betterment of all society okay I've got, that yeah that's no I think that's important and I, I, I wanted to kind of tie something into that with respect to remediation I I see this issue I think going to be something that will come along and and will gain attention. I kind of am leaning towards the thought that maybe there should be different levels of remediation based on who you're remediating for. And I'm wondering if if you have any thoughts on that because you deal with a lot of these people who and and you interact with a lot of people who are reporting these very, you know, unusual basically responses to mold in the indoor environment at least we think they're unusual i guess i could phrase it that way do you think there might be um, a need for different types of remediation or different levels of remediation well yes of course um you know um, um neonatal care uh within hospitals that have aspergillus problems that's a um i, I forget the gentleman's name but he can specialize in that you you have to take extreme care when you have premature infants in a neonatal situation and you're going to be remediating for mold. Um, I, I believe there's been a couple lawsuits, even some um, wrongful deaths on that. So, of course, there are levels. But mainly, I mean, it, it, to me, it just seems like it's logic that would require, you know, who, who needs extra care and who doesn't need extra care. And those who don't need extra care, that doesn't mean we don't have to be concerned about their health safety at all during the remediation process. Um, and as far as people who are extremely sensitive, well, the way that they, uh, the way that a lot of these people got that way in the first place was being overly exposed to, to something. So, to, um, you do have to take extra extra care with them because even the least little bit during a remediation process can really wreak havoc with their, their health. But, uh, you know, there's just no, there's nothing that you can put in a textbook that I'm aware of that you can write it in three paragraphs or less. This is the concrete rule of how you deal with every situation. And so, um, you know, that's why individual education of the, the professionals that work in this industry is so important because um, you all are the people on the front lines that are making decisions every day that impact the uh, physical health and the financial health of building occupants and building stakeholders. I've got a uh, text question here, Sharon. It's a, is, is there a concern that the new CIAQ advisory panel may be subject to influence by conflicted entities. And I'm not sure I quite understand the question, but do, does that make sense to you? 
Yeah. Oh, I'm sure there's probably a concern of that somewhere always. There's always a concern over this issue that something's going to happen. But, um, no, I, I, the feeling that I'm getting from this, and, you know, particularly under our new administration, but the feeling that I get from, um, from this uh, committee is that they're going to do everything possible that they can to help solve this problem, and they are um, going to do it in an unbiased manner. And if you notice in the GAO report, it says we're going to be fought. We're, we're, they, they didn't just do this report and put it away. They are um, keeping up with what comes out of their recommendations on this. So, no, I feel quite good about the CIAQ. Sharon, I've got a question of mine. I've, I wanted, I've been wanting to ask you this one here now. Okay, we, I think we can agree that we're not 100% certain what causes these health outcomes that people in water-damaged buildings appear to be having, okay? And we think it's the result of either the mold or the byproducts of the mold or the bacteria or the combination of the mold, the bacteria, the dust mites, and all that other stuff. Um, can It makes it tough to have a policy or a way of treating people when you don't know exactly what the cause is. I'm wondering if you can give us an example of another toxic disease where the cause and effect are not quite clearly understood, but they are accepted, and we have standardized treatments for the people with these health issues. Um, uh, no, I don't think I can really give you a, a clear example of that. I mean, you know, lead poisoning, they, the Mayo Clinic recommends, what is it, chelation, chelation. therapy. Um, but, I, and I really, to be quite honest with you, I can't think of any illnesses that there is only one way to, to treat it. I, I don't think that's ever possible. You know, we're, um, we're all individual people, and what works for one may not work for another. But toxicity is a really interesting point at this um, point in time, I think, because we, we have... Um, there have been a lot more toxic chemicals in our air, in our food, in our, and um, I think we're really just beginning to learn how to treat some of these. I can tell you this, though. Um, you know, I, I, I feel like I belong to, like, the world's oldest society of medical practitioners there is. Um, I don't have a medical degree, but I'm an old wife, and I'm an old mother, and, you know, I there are certain things that you can do to increase your health that have been done for centuries and that would be um, when you're faced with something toxic in your body or whether it's flu or cold or whatever it is a lot of fresh water a lot of fresh air um, avoiding what's making you sick um, trying to do things that remove from your body what is causing the the illness whether that be in this case it might be a mold-free diet or um, Indian sweat saunas that you know help you sweat out the toxins, and so there's a there's a lot of things that if these illnesses are caught early enough, if the doctors are trained to recognize that these illnesses may be caused by an environmental exposure, before before these illnesses become severe and debilitating, what I'm seeing is they're actually fairly simple to address if caught early on. You know. Get away from the mold, 
get the mold away from you, do whatever you can to get it out of your body and get more pure things into your body. Okay, we've got a text question here, Sharon. I want to ask, uh, I'm, I'm not sure, Guest 11, uh, do you believe that mold remediation, the, the process itself, should be regulated by government entities? Um, well, I, you know, I, I would like to see maybe not the remediation process itself regulated, um, but I would like to see those who do remediation um, be required to have some sort of um, educational background in there or, or licensed maybe. And um, I think it would be because right now, like, we, you know, we depend on you all and IAQA for the knowledgeable people that, that really do try to do the right things to help. But there are a lot of, you know, um, um, I sent off to the Caribbean and got my, uh, <laughs> I is a professional remediator today. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, if there was something that could help assure that those that are able to call, uh, call themselves professionals in this issue really were professionals. I guess it's kind of like, you know, I'm a real estate agent by profession. I have to be licensed. That doesn't mean all real estate agents are great and know everything, but it does mean they've had to meet a certain um, educational level and know a little bit about what they're talking about before they can profess to be a professional real estate agent. And it also can be taken away from them if they don't follow a code of ethics or they, they do something illegal. That's right. That's right. So, I, you know, personally, I... I, I, I don't know that there will ever be a complete standard of how you could remediate because there's so many different situations. But it would be nice if those who are able to call themselves professionals over this, somebody somewhere made sure they really are professionals. Well, it's happening in some states, but let's go to uh, Cliff. He's got another question for you. Yeah, Sharon, in your advocacy work, what tactics have been most effective for you? What tactics? Yes. Um... Well, you know, I just, my, because my background is sales and marketing, I, I just approach this like I know how from my educational background. And that is, you know, first of all, I am, I am not one to be able to speak on the technical aspects of this issue, and, but I depend I, a lot on people who can. So the first thing I had to do was, I guess you would say, was learn my product. And, you know, I depend on you all a lot for that. And then the second thing you have to do is know your competitor's product, which is why I've gone into so much of where the problem lays in this area and how the misinformation got out. And so what helped me the most, I think, is probably just, you know, what I'm trained to do. Learn your product, learn your competitor's product, um, articulate. It's called feature function value. Know what something is, know what it does, know what the benefit to it or the ramifications, and then go out there and just knock on doors and cold call. And when a door opens, go into it and try to get to another door and, you know, try to determine who the decision makers are. And um, you just keep knocking on doors until somebody listens. Be persistent. But, uh, persistent and, 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 you know, you just, I, because I believe so much in this that, there is a dire need for people who are sick to be able to get medical treatment. It's, you have to believe in your product and 
the reason I've been so persistent on this is because I'm seeing the devastation every day that the mixed information is causing. And so I, I, I admit it. I've been very tenacious on this issue. And I'm not going to stop until this deal is closed. I want the physicians trained how to recognize, diagnose, and treat mycotic diseases. That's been my goal from the beginning, and that's my goal today. Well, I, I will add, Sharon, that I, I I respect the way you, first of all, like you said, you seek out the information, you learn as much about the issue as you can, but I've also noticed you don't mind debating or talking or whatever you'd like to put, whatever way you'd like to put it with people who hold the opposite position that you do. And I respect that, and I think that helps others respect what you're doing. Well, thank you. And, you know, I can't learn from people who think just like I do. I can only learn from people who think differently than I do. And hopefully um, sometimes the exchanges get heated. Um, but, you know, I know everybody is that I've been communicating with and learning from everybody's trying to do the right thing, whether they agree with me or not. And, you know, sometimes we butt heads, but it, it always comes out at the end, and I've learned something, and hopefully they've learned something too. Great. Let's go to the Roundup, gang. Right, let's go around the horn. Dieter, Dr. Dieter, do we have you back? Yeah, hi there. Hello. Any questions or comments, Dieter? Uh, yeah, absolutely comments. And I, I, I love uh, Sharon's approach. I think this is wonderful and it is uh, refreshing to listen to that because that's kind of the way I look at the world. And um, But there are a couple of points that I, uh, she mentioned that, you know, uh, if you become a medical doctor, you have been, when you get your first MD degree when you're, when you're graduating, well, you're not a specialist in anything. You're a generalist. And I think it's unfortunate that probably there may be a school here and there where they talk about mold-related, should I say, diseases, issues. It doesn't really matter. Um, uh, look at me. I went to one of the finest graduate schools of public health and industrial hygiene, occupational health, quite some time ago. And uh, I, I didn't hear anything in our lectures that had anything to do with mold and mold exposures. Uh, that, that is 30 years ago. Uh, so I don't know whether there are schools who are training uh, industrial hygienists, indoor air specialists. I don't know what the programs are anymore. I'm not up to date on that. Um, do they learn about this today? Do they have a faculty? which is very knowledgeable and has experience with that, I don't know. I, uh, from the best, to the best of my knowledge, I haven't seen much. And yeah, unfortunately, the mold-related reactions, diseases, whatever you want to call it, it's not like smallpox or polio. That's a very defined thing, and you can find a cure for it, and obviously we did. This is such a broad spectrum 
and I, you know, and Axaron said, I don't think we will have one standard that will cover all. We tried to do that with OSHA and um, the ACGIH, the American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists, who are publishing the threshold limit values, uh, the TLVs, as they are also known. And it says in their preamble, it says, these numbers are generated for the general public, comma, however, there may be a couple of people who may react adversely at concentrations below the numbers we are publishing over here. It is a guideline. So it is a tricky, tricky business. And uh, if lawyers are listening, uh, you know, you can argue this one back and forth. I said, yeah, my client is the very sensitive one or my client is not sensitive at all, any which way you want to bend this. So it's going to be, I, I think what we are missing right now, and not only on that level, is better and more education to the people who are coming into this uh, uh, business. Dieter, let me ask you a, a question I asked Sharon. Are there any other toxic diseases that you're aware of that are we're not positive where the toxicity comes from, but doctors treat it? I mean, somebody put up here the common cold. That's not a, I don't believe that's toxicity. I think that, that well, most no, people agree would, that's infection. Uh, that's, uh, um, what about lung cancer from, you know, I mean, lung cancer, we don't always know the cause of lung cancer, I guess, so. We, we know a couple of very good causes, like cigarette smoking, for instance. But, uh, yeah, why did the little old lady from around the corner who never had a drink, who never smoked a cigarette, and who never was exposed to any other lung disease-producing agent, why did she die from lung cancer? Well, you know, there comes an age where uh, uh, the defenses are breaking down, (laughs) like uh, um, uh, Mr. Newman used to say, nothing is getting better with age, so... Uh, I'm going through that phase right now, but um, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 a tough it's a tough topic and it's a tough question, and I think that maybe one of the reasons why it is so difficult uh, to get any research money for it. You can't really say, you know, I'm going to study smallpox and I'm going to wipe it out. I agree with you. Something. Yeah, oh, that's that's fine. I'm okay. Okay. Well, Dieter, let me ask Sharon if she has any comments on what you said. No, I, you know I agree completely um, that that um, it's difficult to get it standardized how to research what we are. But you know there there are physicians out here that are showing success in treating these illnesses, and it doesn't um, involve just handing somebody um, an allergy pill or and inhale it. We do know at this point in time that it takes a comprehensive approach to treat these illnesses, and there are viable treatments out here that are working for people. Um, like I said before, it, it involves ridding the body of whether it's the toxin or the mold itself. And um, Like the University of Manchester, the Fungal Research Trust, they're showing tremendous success at what they're calling um, severe asthma. They're using antifungal medications to treat that. You know, I'm inclined to believe it might be more than extreme asthma. And then 
you have um, um, like Dr. Uh, Richie Shoemaker. He's having extreme success by using um, a toxin-binding agent, agent uh, cholestyramine, with a lot of other things, including this. Then you have um, some of the physicians of the AAEM that they're showing success by using um, um, the saunas, the dry saunas, and the um, and then you have naturopaths that are using some probiotic treatments. Um, but, but what all of these treatments have in common is, if you just looked at it, you know, like I do, I broad general as a salesperson, here's what the deal is. They all involve staying away from what's making you sick and working on ridding the body of what is making you sick. So, you know, to just give an inhaler, that doesn't cut it. You've got to work on getting the mold out of, out of, away from the people and the people away from the mold. By the way, we did have uh, two shows with Dr. Shoemaker, so anybody that wants to uh, learn more about his opinions on the issue can go back and pull those from the archives. Let's go to Cliff. I know he has a final question. Yes, Sharon. Um, I guess there are rumors of a documentary movie about toxic mold. Can you confirm deny or comment on it yes there is there's a movie that um it's um produced by michael roland williams out of dallas and um it's called the black mold exposure documentary i think their website is even blackmoldexposure.com and um it's i've um, been able to preview it and it's a great movie it's, it's actually very entertaining too um what they did, they the, the gist of the movie is they followed um, Michael and his girlfriend, Karen, of how this issue has impacted their life. They've become extremely environmentally sensitive. But it, it, it touches on all the problem areas, that, um, you know, from the landlords to the remediation to the physicians to the attorneys on both sides of the issue, to the legislators, to how um, this has impacted their lives and what they've had to do to adjust to be um, successful people. So I know it's premiering in Dallas. Uh, it's going to be showing at landmark theaters at various places around the country, but it is premiering in Dallas on April 14th of this year. And um, it's I think it's well worth anyone who wants to understand how um, all these various problem areas within this issue impact the lives of people who are made really ill, um, I think it's a very good movie to watch. Do you know and Michael it's got Williams? funny aspects to it, too. I should tell you that. It's got some entertaining, funny aspects. Do, do you know Michael Williams, Sharon? I do. Um, I, I'm, I have a small segment in the... the um, the movie. I think I'm in there for like one minute, maybe. Um, so I, I have spoken to Michael on the phone, and um, communicated with him via email. And I keep up. He's got. Um, if you go to that website, they have some place that you can keep up on the updates of when things are coming out here and there. I've not actually met him in person. When I did my interview, there was a, um, a camera person that flew to California and. Uh, did the interview uh, over the phone with Michael. Uh, the reason so I asked is, is that I think he would be uh, an interesting interview. 
uh, on, the would, sh- on the show. Yeah, he would be. And, um, you know, I could probably, I know I could make contact with him. I'm sure he'd love to come and speak about it. Well, we would it's appreciate that. It's a labor of love, and um, it's wonderful to for somebody to take this much effort to get the word out of exactly what, what this issue does to people. Before we go, Sharon, is there anything you'd like to add? No, other than, you know, I just really appreciate you all have this radio program, and um, and it's not just the individual interviews. You have compiled quite an extensive audio library for anybody that wants to know just about any aspect of this issue, I think. And, um, you know, I'm just, I'm just really glad you guys are here. Well, we want to thank you for joining us again, and I want to echo one of the listeners' uh, comments here that you've done a, a superb job of bringing the problem of uh, mold to the U.S. Congress and spurring the GAO on it on to, uh, you know, for mold to occur, and I know that there were a lot of others out there that helped you, and, uh, you know, we certainly appreciate their their help in uh, helping get this issue a little more, you know, a little more, uh, I guess, a little more attention from the federal government, whether it turns out to be something that uh, we can figure out or not or we need to regulate or not we'll we'll find out as these studies start to be pulled together all right sharon um we appreciate having you on we certainly like to bring you back again i want to thank sharon noonan kramer for joining us this week on iaq radio i also want to thank our technical director dr dietrich wow of course for joining us as always my co-host the z-man cliff slotnick environmental annie sitting in here helping out with the controls and of course the wingman at the controls Most importantly, I want to thank our growing group of loyal listeners. Please come back and join us again next Friday at noon for the next edition of IAQ Radio. This has been another IAQ Radio production.